Hey there, welcome to episode 13 of the Open Floor Podcast. I'm Ali Mosalli. And I'm Ari Narayan. And we are here with the third episode of the season. We have a really special episode set up for today, so I won't take much time to set it up. However, today's episode relates to our presidential election and, our, and a mock debate. Without further ado, on to the episode. The past few weeks have been incredibly tumultuous across America, as President Donald Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden have made their cases to the American people as to why they should be elected to the highest office in the land. Yeah, for sure. Mail-in, absentee, and early voting have been occurring in many states for a couple of weeks already, uh, and pre-election day ballot counts surpassed a total of 100 million votes already, shattering all previous records. Now, today is November 3rd, 2020, and it's finally time for election day which may just turn out to be the most important election in American history. However, there is definitely a chance that the day comes and goes, and we don't know who the next president of the United States will be, due to the large amount of early voting in the circumstances of the COVID-19 pandemic. To commemorate this special day, we decided to create an equally special episode. Uh, We'll be conducting our own mock presidential debate, uh, which we designed to closely emulate the first presidential debate that occurred between Mr. Trump and Mr. Biden earlier this year. Today, uh, our participants will be Akshay Jha and Rohan Balachander, um, and welcome to the podcast. But um, before we can begin, could you please just introduce yourselves to our listeners today? Thank you, Ali and Aryan. Uh, my name is Rohan Balachander. I am a junior at Lexington High School, and I would describe my political leanings as a social democrat, so definitely uh, pretty left, left-wing. Thanks uh, to both Ali and Aryan. Um, my name is Akshay Shah, and I would describe my my leanings as um, definitely center leaning right. Um, not a full Republican. I don't like to think of myself like that, but definitely right wing leaning right. Definitely. All right. So our first question is going to be on the records of uh, President Trump and Vice President Biden. So when a president seeks a second term, uh, it's generally a referendum on the record. But Vice President Biden likes to quote one of his dad's sayings, uh, which is, don't compare me to the almighty, uh, compare me to the alternative. And in this case, Biden is the alternative to our current uh, president, Donald Trump. Looking at both of their records, I'm going to ask each of you, why should voters elect your preferred candidate over the other? Uh, so, Rohan, you will start off our mock debate with this question, one minute uninterrupted. All right. Thank you, Ali. So, basically, in my view, uh, Donald Trump has been a failure of a president. He has done much harm to the American people. Uh, for example, he's slashed taxes for the rich, uh, leading to less revenue, but continues to uh, spend a lot on uh, our government continues to spend a lot leading to a large deficit uh, however Biden promises to increase taxes on the wealthy and spend more funding on social and economical issues rather than the military Trump has also left the Iran nuclear deal abandoning the Kurds and allowing Iran to receive nuclear weapons and has raised tensions by killing uh, Soleimani uh, he has failed to come up with a solution for uh, the Affordable Care Act, uh, is trying to cut health care for 20 million Americans, but has no uh, possible uh, new plan to help cover. And urge Ukraine to investigate opponents while withholding aid for the government. That was a clear uh, 
clearly illegal and what he did got him impeached justifiably um then the coronavirus he's downplayed the virus flaunted regulations thank you thank you uh, that's one minute over 230 americans that's... that 200 230,000 americans have died so right. uh so now akshay one minute yeah sure um for sure De- president uh donald trump he's definitely not the best and but in this election i think i'd pick him over biden um on his record of foreign policy he pulled us out of the paris agreements which were um which were literally just uh, a piece of paper nobody respected them uh on the international stage india and china both um grew worse in this last decade and it was really just a restriction on us jobs i think there's much better ways to go about protecting the climate than you know sealing ourselves off like that um on the topic of covid-19 i think he did stumble a bit in the beginning but as we see now he has uh plans in place such as operation warp speed uh the HHS and the CDC working together are all working on finding a cure and then distributing out to the rest, to you know America at, on large um yeah on foreign policy i think um he uh i think the most important thing he did was uh take steps towards repealing the affordable care act which i think was um i think it was a failure i think it it could have been done much better i think healthcare should be subsidized like that and i think for all these reasons that right thank you he should and be elected so, yeah mm-hmm. and so now open discussion uh you have 3 minutes um you can answer uh to whatever each other said so go ahead sure for sure Ron, um, you can go so, first. all right thank you okay uh just to continue on some other failures of his he has encouraged the rise of far right groups and white supremacy including his famous good people on both sides when discussing uh protesters and counter protesters in Charlottesville uh he does not take global warming seriously and left the paris accords and has rolled back climate regulations for corporations which has encouraged uh global warming or climate change to occur at a much faster pace he pays almost no taxes $750 in that new york times report which is unbelievable. I have friends of mine who work minimum wage jobs like a couple hours every week who paid more in taxes than him. Uh he's pushed away our allies and spends more time being friends with North Korea, Russia, and Saudi Arabia. Uh he's put children in cages, removed from their parents, and in my mind that's just a complete failure. I think on the topic of children in cages, the Obama administration did way more to limit the he uh, did way more to, what's it called, to halt immigration than he did. I think the cages themselves were built under the Obama administration, under Obama's secretary. So, Well, uh, to that point, I would respond uh, that the cages in Obama's administration were not actually intended to separate children and put them in there. They were used for a completely different purpose than uh, Trump's, which was specifically to separate children from their parents and keep children in cages and i think at least 6 or 7 children were reported to have died in us custody as a result of his policy you know i think i agree with that i think we definitely need to rework how we deal with immigrants at the border but on the topic of separating children from their parents we do the same thing domestically when children are deemed to be in unsafe situations they're removed from their parents and processed separately um what's more unsafe than taking your children on a thousand mile trek up to the United States border in a country that and then trying to cross illegally because that's why they're there. Well, it's not like these people have much of a choice in their home countries. 
due to for U.S. foreign policy, it is su- very unsafe. There is a lot of uh, gang violence, and un- uh, the regimes themselves do not have fair democratic uh, governments. They uh, persecute minorities and other people, and these people, people do not willingly choose to go on thousand-mile journeys, uprooting their entire lives and their entire culture to go to a place they've never seen unless they feel that is absolutely necessary. And these parents have chosen that because they know that they cannot survive in their country. It is too unsafe. It's unstable. But again, there are legal channels of immigration. There are ways to apply. There are ways to get in that don't right. involve crossing the border And these people come to the border and apply for... And apply for... Um, for immigration, which is allowed in the current policy. Right. I think... I think you have merit in your argument. I think that the way we deal with our border needs to be reworked. Although I do think that... I do think that the whole separating children from their parents isn't as radical as it's made to seem. Like, we do the same thing domestically when children are put in danger. But that is when parents are abusing their children, not what's happening Mm -hmm. here. But it's done domestically, so... No, I see see your point. Um, Moving on... The, on the topic of foreign policy, I think his foreign policy record has been amazing. I think he's done, he's made leaps and bounds. He's made uh, NATO start paying their, NATO, the uh, the agreement that we're in, the the organization that we're in has been, is most, basically comprised of all of Europe and us. And we've been paying more than our fair share, I think something like 60, 70% of NATO's budget, defense budget for so long. And I think he's he's made those European countries start finally like standing on their own feet. I think I will agree with you on this. This is where I probably differ in most Democrats. I don't understand why we're allowing these European countries to benefit from our military. And I feel that they should be paying their fair share as well. For sure, for sure. So. And it, it brings up a question to my mind and I, I genuinely don't know the answer to this. So I'm I'm asking I'm asking you. Um do you think that these European countries are allowed to have free health care? Not allowed, but they're able to allowed to have free health care and, and health care subsidies because we're paying most of their defense budget? Uh, I'm not positive that they... I'm not sure about the exact numbers, but I will say I'm not sure that they will have to spend so much that they won't be able to afford health care. All right, so that's uh, for this section. Uh, we're going to move on to our next section. Arin, you can take it away. All right, thank you for that. Um, now let's move on to the topic of the Supreme Court. So recently, President Trump nominated Amy Coney Barrett um, towards the end of September um, to succeed the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the court. And in fact, the Senate confirmed her to that position. Uh, Trump mentions that the Constitution is clear that he is obligated and the Senate is obligated to consider a nominee to the court. However, uh, Vice President Biden says that this is an effort by the president and Republicans to jam through an appointment in what he calls an abuse of power. Whose argument do you think you agree with more? And do you think it was the right decision to go ahead with the uh, appointment of Justice Barrett right before the election? Uh, Akshay, you can take this question first. Um, You'll get one minute uninterrupted. Thank you. So the Constitution says that the president has the power to appoint judges and that they would go through the Senate. Um, The power doesn't just... Nowhere in the Constitution does it say that the power fades away before the election. And it's not meant to. The president can appoint a judge up until the last day he's in office. Whether or not that judge goes through, however, is a different matter. For example, when Obama tried to appoint a judge and the Senate, major- the Senate majority back in 
was it 2015 or 2016? I don't remember. They denied that judge, but the going through of a judge isn't guaranteed. Since we had a Republican majority and a Republican president, Amy Coney Barrett was appointed. Obama, on the other hand, had a Republican majority Senate, but he was a democratically elected president. And his his judge appointee actually was um, a liberal leaning judge. So I think there are two different cases. I think it's not out of Trump's reach to appoint a judge. And I think what he did was constitutional. Whether or not it was right is a different question, but I think it was right as well. Uh, now, Rohan, you can go ahead with uh, one more minute. So I... I'm conflicted on this. So while I, I understand the view that Republicans have been playing dirty politics uh, for a while now, especially with the case of Merrick Garland and here, uh, it is well within their power. And Akshay is right in that the president can uh, appoint whoever he wants, whenever he wants. Um, and honestly, I blame this one on the voters uh, for not showing up because elections matter and elections have consequences. And when you don't show up in 2010 or 2014 or 2016, uh, like uh, a lot of Democrats did, um, this is the result in that, um, is, uh, the result is that uh, the Republicans can block whoever they want uh, and whenever they want, and they can appoint whoever they want whenever they want if they have control of the presidency. Uh, the one thing that irks me, of course, is that Mitch McConnell refused to allow Obama's centrist nomination. Merrick Garland was a compromise, uh, but because uh, he, his claim was that you shouldn't do it on an election year. And, but here, in this instance, he forces a judge through with a week left before the election. Um, but again, it's within his power and... Uh, All right. Uh, thank you, Rohan. So now uh, you guys will have three minutes to discuss uh, together and you can ask and answer any questions you have. OK, well, I definitely didn't know that Mitch McConnell's reasoning was that it was in an election year. I think that politics is full of hypocrisy. I think, however, um, Amy Coney Barrett is uh, she's an originalist judge. She's she studied under or she clerked under Scalia. And yeah. I think that it, it made sense to for her to be appointed. I think that, you know, if there had been a Democratic majority in the Senate back in 2016 or 2015 or whenever the election year was, then Garland would have gotten in. And I think it's just another thing that happens. I think, yeah, it depends on the voters. If voters don't show up, then this is what happens. Uh, I will say uh, a lot of people have been uh, talking about Amy Coney Barrett, and while I do wish they had picked someone who had a little more experience as being a judge in the lower courts, I'm not even sure if she, I'm not sure exactly how much, but I, I've heard that she has less than usual. Uh, that thing is Obama also nominated a justice uh, who was confirmed, uh, Kagan, uh, who had very little or none uh, experience in the, Supreme, uh, in the lower courts. Uh, I will say uh, the originalist, um, how, how do you say, it? classification, I guess, of Amy Coney Barrett. She uh, is a bit odd. She's been a little strange when she's been asked questions that should clear, have a clear answer, such as like uh, challenging the election and whatnot. She has given a roundabout answer uh, because she knows that in order to be confirmed, 
she has to play well, politics towards both sides. I mean, and I will say that's something I don't like to see. Uh, should I when, respond or? Uh, I okay, don't so. like to see. Yeah, sure, sure. I don't like to see when uh, judges are supposed. Yeah, I mean, to if you go back to Bader Ginsburg's um, appointment and her confirmation hearings, and you know, most of the confirmation hearings from the last few years, uh, last 20, 30 years, you see that all the judges do this. Uh, and this is what I fail to understand is. How is it worse that Amy Coney Barrett is doing it? Because in order to be a judge, you need to play impartiality. You need to be impartial. Because if you're given any reason, if the Senate is given any reason to suspect that you're going to be impartial, which you might be, which you might not be, it doesn't, we don't know. But if the Senate is given any reason to suspect impartiality, then you won't be appointed. And if you have your leanings and you have leanings that, you know, influence the way court decisions will be carried out then then of course you have to play impartiality like um back in the 80s or, or 90s whenever ginsburg was appointed she was deemed as a radical feminist judge but if you go back to her confirmation hearing she's very neutral she always says no i don't have an opinion on that i have to be impartial i have to be impartial like that sentiment is repeated over and over i will say one thing about coney barrett though i don't like her stance on lgbtq issues i don't like that she's she's been part of that um people of prayer um organization on on like lgbtq issues i don't like her track record for personal reasons um i would agree with that obviously and similarly i would disagree about her view on on abortion but again there's not much to do about it she's been appointed and i guess if we could transition slightly to the discussion of all right yeah um, i'm sorry that's I'm gonna okay have to cut you off there. that was a great of... discussion though um so i'll leave all it to right. aline now to uh, move on to our next topic which is um of utmost importance right now in america and across the world all right so this is of the covid 19 pandemic which i believe you guys were discussing on a bit before uh so the country is heading into a dangerous new phase right more than forty-seven thousand americans are in the hospital tonight uh, with COVID-19, and since the beginning of the pandemic, 231,000 Americans have died from this deadly virus. Uh, so please be specific. How do you think the coronavirus pandemic should be handled, and why do you think your preferred candidate would be a better leader than the other in this nationwide crisis? Uh, Rohan, your turn first. One minute uninterrupted. Uh, thank you, Ali. So this is a topic in which I think Trump has especially done terribly, as I mentioned in my intro. Uh, 230,000 Americans are dead. He downplayed the virus flaunted regulations. Uh, one point that they often, uh, the other side, other side being conservatives often make is that he locked down China. But in the time since 40,000 people still came from China to the US, I think in the two months after, uh, American nationals who came over were not quarantined. Uh, he suggested injecting bleach and hydroxychloroquine, uh, he has indoor rallies, at least two, which, uh, according to a recent recent Stanford study, has caused over 30,000 new cases of coronavirus in the U.S. The Biden plan, he has uh, downplayed uh, testing as well, whereas the Biden plan is encouraging uh, doubling the number of testing sites, as well as uh, testing much more, investing in rapid and at-home tests, ramping up production of masks and face shields, uh, creating and investing in a 25 billion uh, vaccine production and distribution plan, uh, protect, also protecting vulnerable populations such as the elderly and people of color who are disproportionately affected 
by this virus and restoring yeah the task i'll let force, you continue that during uh, the discussion phase however no akshay up to you thank you so um i think it's important to note that yes the trump campaign has done i think spectacularly bad with COVID. i think they've done really really just it it is something to be marveled at that 200,000 americans have died i think it's a tragedy i do think that the pandemic is it's a serious serious issue um as to the plans on how to deal with it i think that the trump administration has administered has started administering uh operation warp speed and basically the timeline for which is as of today um as of october 9th the hhs announced an agreement with um a biotech company called astrazeneca for late stage development and large-scale manufacturing of azd 7442 which is a hypothetical vaccine that could be coming out. I don't know about its reliability. I know that they have been testing vaccines and different products that could have been vaccines since March. I think that we should have, as Americans, we should have, we, we have a very, I don't want to say phobia, we have a fear of giving up our freedom. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, we'll open it up now for discussion. Three minutes. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I think we have a phobia of like giving up our freedom, like that the government is going to come and like become a tyranny and this and that it some of it is valid some of it isn't and i think in this case it was it wasn't valid it it really isn't valid i think that you know a lot of freedom is having to know when to like give i don't want to say give up pieces of it but like sometimes it's for a greater good you know the lockdown was for a greater good the the quarantine is for a greater good i think People just need to realize that and not just say no because the government is saying it. And I would, to add on to that, I'm not really sure uh, how people think their freedoms are being violated. Um, you know, the Constitution gives us the rights to free speech and all that. But in a national emergency such as this, I think you're justified in telling people stay home. Well, I think Don't a lot of it is small business owners. Right. Small business owners have been hit the hardest during this pandemic. Because they don't have like bailouts to rely on. They don't have the sheer wealth of like massive corporations. They've been hit the hardest. And yeah, along with that, I think it's it's people who are upset about that. People who are upset about their businesses going down. People who are upset about like in rural areas where there there aren't any many customers anyways. And now with the quarantine, there are none. They're like uh, dying out. We're losing small businesses. In America. So I think that's what they've been upset about. That's what they, um, yeah. Freedom of movement too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you just, to, just to circle back again. Uh, so um, Trump disbanded the coronavirus task force. Uh, and even there was a tweet I remember seeing by Biden in early, like, I think it was November, 2019 saying uh, that, you know, uh, Trump was defunding our, our, our resources to prepare for epidemics such as this and you know trump actually pointed it out and made fun of him saying like what are you talking about this is ridiculous uh nothing like that would happen and it did and we are feeling the effects of it we have done the worst probably out of any country in the world when it comes to this virus you know we have like four percent of the population uh of the world population yet we have the most cases in the entire world and yeah, I think Biden will do a much better job 
and uh, I think he will bring some some rationality to mm-hmm. this. I just and, want to make one comment quickly before we end this segment. It's um, lots of the Democratic electorate didn't want Biden beginning all the way back in the primaries. I remember there were there was lots of support for Bernie. There was lots of support for Kamala Harris, even some for Klobuchar. I think it's important to note that I'm not, I don't fully support our president. I don't support everything he does. I support the party ideals, which he stands on. If there was someone else running, I would have picked them. But, you know, as it stands, as a center-right leaning person, I would have to pick President Trump over Biden. All right. So this concludes our section on COVID-19. I'll pass it over to Aryan for the next section. Yeah, um, our next section is directly related to um, the handling of the pandemic, and that's um, the state of our economy. So um, due to the pandemic and due to having shut down the country for the most part for months now, the economy has faltered greatly. Unemployment has risen. um, You've seen businesses shuttering um, and you've seen people unable to um, uh, get the money that they need to live. So. Um, What are your thoughts on the state of the U.S. economy, and why do you think that your preferred candidate and their plans are better suited to help it recover from the effects of the pandemic and even help it grow past that? Akshay, you can have the floor first, and you'll get one minute. I think the economy is something that we need to focus on right now. I think that we need to do a... We need to reopen. Um, I think the quarantine has lasted for a while. I think that, you know, we've... In the beginning, we didn't know exactly what this virus was. We didn't know what its intent, not intentions. We didn't know what the consequences of it would be. But, you know, now we've sat through it for eight months and I think we're ready to reopen, you know, social distancing, masks, all of that. I think we need to still continue the quarantine in the most vulnerable, vulnerable, you know, populations, the demographics who are the most at risk, like the elderly. Um, We need to keep them away from the virus. We need to... Uh, the sickly, the those who already have, you know, lung issues, respiratory issues, they also need to be quarantined. But I think the rest of us need to start reopening and get the economy flowing again, because there's only so long you can keep it closed and expect no pushback. There's only so long you can keep it closed and like expect no repercussions down the line. Thank you, Akshay. Um, Rohan, you can have your minute now. Um, so I was going at this question from a slightly different angle than Akshay, which was Trump's response has been to push uh, 1.5 trillion dollars into the stock market rather than into the pockets of uh, everyday Americans. Uh, This has caused a huge uh, uh, gap in between how the rich are feeling this pandemic and how the poor are. Um, So even as everyday Americans haven't had a stimulus check in months, April 13th was when they began releasing stimulus checks which means for people who haven't been able to find jobs, I think it was roughly, they've been living on something like $5 a day, which is not livable. Uh, so by investing instead in the stock market, this has only been uh, benefiting the rich investors rather than the everyday Americans. Biden will raise taxes on the rich, uh, force them to pay more, uh, fund the government better, and work on infrastructure. I know Trump has a plan as well, uh, but... Trump has not been taking climate change seriously. Biden will look towards greener energy resources. Uh, Just to show Trump's uh, lack of handling, 
manufacturing was already in a recession before All right, the pandemic thank you, Rohan. last year. I'm going to have to stop you there, but uh, like feel free to uh, continue with that in uh, the next three minutes of the uh, discussion period. So uh, also Biden wants to raise minimum wage, which would directly put money into the working class people. And uh, Trump wants to continue Reaganomics, the trickle down politics, which have not functioned and have continuously led to market crashes every I agree with this. I, so, yeah. I'm not a Republican per se. I call myself more of a libertarian. I don't think we should be putting money into Wall Street. I think that corporate bailouts are are probably one of the worst uses of money that we have during this pandemic. I don't think corporations deserve to be bailed out. I think that if you can't survive on your own, then you don't. In, in terms of corporations, I think that if a corporation can't survive on its own, it doesn't deserve to be funded by the government. I think that the government should, yeah, redirect its money towards public infrastructure, um, stuff like that, you know, even such a stimulus check, which, you know, normally I would be against because it would be some sort of, you know, UBI, universal basic income sort of thing, which, you know, typically a libertarian would be against. But in, in this specific case, I'd have to support it because, you know, people have been struggling, people, people do need money, and people are getting laid off because of this uh, pandemic. Although instead of you know, redistributing money like that, I would say that reopening the economy would be better. You know, again, like the selective reopening, letting people without lung conditions, without who aren't elderly, who aren't like the most at-risk demographics, letting them back in and letting them restart their businesses and go back to work and go back to school and stuff like that. Well, not school, but like go back to work, stuff like that. Um, uh, I'll point out. No, this. go ahead. I was finished. Oh, sorry. Uh, do you mind if I? Okay. Um, so. There was a recent NPR, recent-ish NPR article that compared the states of Minnesota and Wisconsin, and Minnesota allowed reopening to occur weeks before Wisconsin, but the economy did not seem to have any boost in uh, Minnesota versus Wisconsin, and the conclusion was likely because uh, high-income folks were able to work remotely, and they could self-isolate and then the people themselves uh were forced to spend all of their goods with small businesses being closed on the large businesses so walmart and amazon felt a large amount of uh growth in their sales but every none of the small businesses really managed to thrive and i think honestly we have to just we i i i, I would agree with the sentiment of trying to open up the economy but keeping people safe but at the same time this virus is more than just the dead death rate you know there's a larger percentage of people who have permanent heart damage lung damage uh and that we we don't even know the effects of this virus 10 20 years down the line we've only seen maximum like one year yeah i think that's true i think in the point of reopening the economy it's very easy to crash the economy by closing suddenly but i think in reopening it'll take some time to see you know economic uh to see things rise again you know but yeah i think also in the point of you know amazon and walmart they these corporations employ millions of people and i think if some people can go back to work for amazon or walmart and if they're social distancing they're wearing masks i think that that should be allowed i think small but i think it's a shame i think it's a genuine shame that all these small businesses have closed in in the face of the pandemic i see the reason for it but i still think you know, America, America is supposed to thrive on the entrepreneur. I think that in closing down for so long, we've lost a little bit of that. 
I see the reason for it, but I also see the see the opposing side. All right. Thank you to you both on your thoughts on the economy. And uh, we'd like to move to our final topic now. Um, and I'd like to turn it over to Ali now. Right. So our final topic today is going to be on race and violence in our cities. So um, Vice President Biden says that President Trump's response to the racial violence in Charlottesville three years ago uh, when he stated that there were uh, very fine people on both sides was what directly led him to launch uh, this run for president. Um, in contrast, President Trump has often said that he believes that he has done more for black Americans than any other president, with the possible exception of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, my question for uh, the both of you is, uh, why should voters and Americans in general trust your preferred candidate uh, rather than his opponent to deal uh, with the prevalent racial issues facing this country over the next four years? Uh, Rohan, you can go first. Uh, one minute uninterrupted. So I'm just going to start this off by saying it's not like Biden is perfect. He has had what I would call a pretty racist past in his support of the 1994 crime bill and his general law and order rhetoric in the 80s. But he has gone back and said he disagrees with what he uh, said at the time and he regrets saying what he said, not to mention the crime bill was, I think, completely bipartisan. And not there was not a single member in Congress who went against it. Uh, moving on, Trump has constantly demonstrated his racism. You know, the Central Park Five uh, claiming that the five men should receive the death penalty when it was clear that they were not guilty. His birthism claiming that Obama birthism claiming that Obama was born in Kenya, not here. Uh, his calling of Mexican immigrants as rapists, bringing drug and crime. Uh, calling Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas, obviously, as a jab for her mm -hmm. native right. or lack uh, I'm of sorry native to American interrupt, but all right, history. so let's I move on to Akshay. Uh, I think on the topic of racial issues, both candidates have a lot lacking. Um, yeah, Trump's comments at Charlottesville, very fine people on both sides. I think that was, I think that was pretty, I think it was something that we shouldn't glorify, you know what I mean? I think that it has leave it out of all the things that the media has focused on. I think that that one comment has received the correct amount of demonization. It is pretty awful. Um, race and violence in our cities. I think that after the recent George Floyd occurrence and the Breonna Taylor occurrence, I think that race has become a much bigger problem in the United States than it used to be. I know that a very big criticism of conservatives is that Black Lives Matter, but only every four years. I think that, I think that, you know, the concept of Black Lives Matter is, is a good concept. I don't like the politics attached with it. I do think the police should be demilitarized. I do think that they should have, you know, greater restrictions in order to become a police officer. I don't think you should just come right out of high school and get handed a badge and a gun. I think, you know, this is where I'll agree with the Europeans that, we should have a college course for our police. Police should have college degrees and should be trained in combat reduction. I don't think their first reaction should be to just shoot the problem. But yeah, right. I think that would be my statement. Mm -hmm. So, all right, now the floor is open uh, for three minutes. Um, go ahead. So just to continue, you know, his whole law and order rhetoric, basically posing to white suburban people how, you know, he's people of color are going to come, these thugs are going to come and ruin your neighborhoods and, you know, go back to where you came from when the people were from 
like New York, uh, the congresswoman. Uh, so on the topic of looting and rioting, Biden has said time and time again, he is strongly against looting and rioting. These outside agitators who see the opportunity, you know, to come and start burning things. They're not representative, I feel, of the majority of protests. I think something like 96% of Black Lives Matter protests have been peaceful. Biden has supported protesting versus Trump's uh, reaction to peaceful protesters where he tear gassed them and shot, had his uh, forces shoot rubber bullets at them uh, for a photo shoot at a church to demonstrate virtue signaling his Christian, Christian beliefs or whatever. I just feel like Biden has not encouraged white supremacy. Trump has and Biden has continually promised to uh, to do um, actions that will benefit the black community far more, such as bringing uh, working class people out of, you know, deep economic troubles and uh, preventing, you know, preventing them from being mm -hmm. swallowed by poverty. Yeah, I think it's a very contentious issue. I personally think that both candidates are both have their flaws. Um, again, I support Trump basically solely because he's a Republican. There is genuinely a lot about the man that I don't like. Many of the points that Rohan has said, I agree with. But, you know, in a partisan election, you pick the one who you align with or the one whose party believes stands upon your party, you know. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, uh, I was supporting Bernie and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren during the primaries. But when it comes down to it, even though I wish Biden were a little more left leaning when it came to economic issues and such as like health care and stuff like that, uh, and also, you know, things, uh, social issues, uh, I will stand by him because, you know, I believe he's going to right the ship that Trump has let us down we write the path that trump has let us down and you know try and fix the mess that he's made Re rebuild trust with our allies uh improve our economy and recover from this pandemic all right uh so with that um we conclude our mock presidential debate today so thank you to both akshay Jha and rohan uh, balachander for participating in today's debate it was honestly really great hearing how you guys felt on all these really important issues and we are happy that we could showcase the diversity uh in opinions yeah i'd just like to say thank you for having me i think that thank this you, election Andy. is you, it's a lot more dividing yeah. than it should be i think that you know, lots of relationships, uh, families are very divided over what's going to happen in a few hours. And I think that, you know, it, it's really nice to be able to sit down with a few friends and talk about it and, you know, yes. leave it for the world to see that you don't have to be enemies that if you're on different parties. So, you know, thank you for the opportunity again. Of course. Of course. I feel the same. I would like to thank you guys both for letting me come and speak about, you know, and debate Akshay. You know, there's actually a lot of things i would say i would agree with akshay especially in the earlier parts of the debate and then there's some parts where we had our differences but i think we both care about you know this country and yeah, want to see it true. move in the right and direction not only your opinions but also um the opinions of the millions of other americans right so today election day by the time this episode comes out probably election day is over however there are so many more elections in the future um that that are just as important as the presidential debate every four years so 
just for our listeners, um, if you live in America and you are eligible to vote, we suggest you do because uh, that's how you can bring change uh, to our nation. Also, fight for what you think is right. No matter your political orientation, your voice has the ability um, to cause massive change. And once again, thank you guys for coming onto the podcast. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Open Floor. Please follow us on whatever platform you get your podcasts from. A full list of where you can find us is available at openfloor.me forward slash listen. Additionally, please follow us on Instagram at openfloorpodcast or on Twitter at theopenfloor for updates on whenever we upload a new episode and much more. Consider supporting the podcast by visiting our new and improved website at openfloor.me. I'm Ali Mosalney. And I'm Arya Narayan. And we'll see you in the next episode of Open Floor.